Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode of the First Incision for 2021. First Incision is a podcast from the Christian Medical Fellowship where we look at topics at the interface of faith and healthcare that affect our Christian lives in today's world. I'm your host, Steve Fouch. We all like to feel that we are seen as being of worth and value to others, that we are appreciated and treated with dignity and consideration. In medical literature and in the social sciences, the idea of human dignity is becoming very prominent. But what actually is dignity? What determines if someone has dignity or not? Is dignity innate or something that is given? And if it is given, can it be taken away? And if so, by whom and in what circumstances? Today, I am talking with Jenny Pollock, author, thinker and CMF's Associate Head of Public Policy, to discuss dignity as it is understood in the academic and the medical worlds and to explore a biblical alternative. So welcome, Jenny. Good to have you here. Do you want to say a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yes. Hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Jenny Pollock. I'm the Associate Head of Public Policy at CMF, which means I'm involved in uh, equipping our members to join with us in influencing policymakers and informing the public around issues of bioethics and medical ethics. Wow, that sounds quite impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a little tagline I just came up with for our recent uh, team work plans and, and budgets and all those exciting things. Grand. For full disclosure here, I should say, we've worked together for over over a year now. So um, we were hoping to do this this podcast in person, but we've ended up having to do it, like all of them, over the internet. So apologies for the sound quality if you get sudden pings and weird noises appearing in the background. So, Jenny, today we want to talk a bit about the, the topic of dignity and it's, it's something that, that sort of crops up a lot in discussions at the moment about health care for vulnerable people but particularly for people at the end of life or people with disabilities. Could you say a little bit about what you think that term means and, and, and are there any problems with it in the, in the way that it's being used today? Yeah it's it's just one of those really tricky terms that, that sort of could mean anything and nothing. Stephen Pinker calls it a squishy subjective notion, hardly up to the heavyweight moral demands assigned to it. And he was saying that in response to a, a piece by Ruth Macklin, who's just called it a useless concept in medical ethics. She thought that the principle of autonomy was enough uh, to do all the work that this term dignity tried to do. That as we treat people as autonomous beings, people who have an interest in their own lives and, and who have cares and concerns about it, that that should be enough. We don't have to have this extra term dignity to help us treat them well. Pinker went on to say dignity is a phenomenon of human perception. It's it's something that we often assign to people based on different characteristics they have. So uh, he talks about um, signs of composure, cleanliness, control of the body. You know, we we know from everyday life that if you meet someone, see someone on the street who doesn't have those things, who's a bit smelly, who's a bit out of control of their limbs, uh, it's very easy to sort of dismiss them or look down on them and, and not give them that dignity that, as Christians, we believe is inherent in every human being. Okay, thank you. That's helpful. J Jenny, I, I know that there are a lot of campaign groups that use the term dignity a lot around the, the end of life, particularly assisted suicide and euthanasia issue. 
Can you say a little bit more about that and, and why people are using it in that context? Yeah, I think they're very much playing on a fear that the end of life may not be what we might understand to be dignified. You may not have control over all parts of your body, you know, particularly bladder and bowel as a, as a key one that people really fear. You may not uh, be able to interact with the world in the way that you normally can. Uh, there may be a lot of pain that, that interferes with how you want to be able to conduct your life. And so they, they really play on that fear to, to say that, that that indignity would be so unbearable. It's so inhuman almost to to have that lack of dignity um, that really we ought to be able to take control and end our lives before we reach that horrific point. But I think they're, they're really creating a false dichotomy there. Firstly, dignity isn't the be all and end all. There are worse things than being undignified. Think of giving birth. That's about the least dignified thing you could imagine. But very few doctors are advocating cesarean sections for all just to avoid that horrible indignity that these women are going to have to go through. But also assisted suicide euthanasia aren't necessarily this sort of calm, peaceful, drifting away in a terribly dignified manner. It can be a horrific experience and yeah, it's it's not it's not the only option. It's not you'll either die writhing in pain and agony and out of control of all your bodily functions. There there are ways of of managing those indignities and giving back what people uh, want and what they value at the end of life so that it can be a, a less horrendous experience. So, so dignity ends up becoming a bit of a, a loaded term. It can easily be used to, to mean whatever you want it to mean in those settings. Yeah, very much, yes. And I mean, all those involved in palliative care would 100% say that, that a, pr- a core part of their work is involved in giving people dignity uh, in the times of their greatest need. So. Does a lot of this get tied up with the idea of a loss of control, that a loss of control means a loss of dignity, that, you know, if, if we're no longer able to make decisions for ourselves or look after ourselves, we lose an inherent sense of dignity of what it means to be a dignified, meaningful human being? Definitely, definitely, yeah. I think that's a, a huge part of the issue. The actress Liz Carr, who's best known for her role in Silent Witness, uh, is a disabled actress and she's written uh, a musical called um, Assisted Suicide, the musical, um, which I saw when it was on uh, the South Bank Centre a few years ago. And she's really challenging this idea through it that loss of control is a disaster, is the end of the world. And she, one point she makes in one of the, the songs is that there are worse things in life than having your bottom wiped for you. She's she's been subject to that for years and it is flourishing in life and so this isn't the thing that's going to prevent me from yeah being able to to live a worthwhile life in fact the very notion that 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 would be the tipping point at which life stopped becoming worth living uh is very offensive and and very scary to to a lot of disabled people Absolutely. And you, and you look to, I mean, obviously there are exceptions, but people like Stephen Hawking, who could still marshal his brain, but could not, did not have that physical dignity of independent 
movement to be able to care for himself. And yet I think few people would say he was someone who lacked worth, dignity or purpose in life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one lesson that we can take from from him, from Liz Carr, from others, is that, yeah, life can still have value. People like Stephen, like Liz, like other disabled people may need extra help, but actually in a society that I would consider to be a, a healthy and um, positive society, it's, we want to be about helping the weak, helping those that need the extra help. I saw a, a short video clip from a documentary recently about a cafe in Japan where all the waiters, all the staff are robots. And uh, the lady giving the documentary went, and she was quite cynical at first. So, yeah, 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 okay, fine, it's all robots. You love these gimmicks. But then she met one of the, the people who was remotely operating this robot and he was very severely disabled bed bound 23 hours a day um they show a clip of him and it's unclear what the disease is but it's a very degenerative musculoskeletal disease and he's only sort of able to to move his mouth and just to move a hand slightly but through being able to operate this robot through the technology they've got He's able to take people's orders, to have a chat with them at their tables, to go back and you know, collect the drinks they've ordered, to deliver it to them. He's able to be out participating in society in a way that is fulfilling to him, where before that, the only future he had in, my, in view was to just be stuck in his bed all his life and with, with no interaction with anyone and no sense of of being able to participate in life in the ways that he would have wanted to. So, so technology can certainly make a, a difference there, can't it? Mm. It, it? It opens up a lot of doorways, but of course it's not always technological answers that that we're looking for. I mean, it, it sounds much more about how we find creative ways as a community to include people with disabilities or other limitations. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course it's it's a reality that we will all face at some point or another, uh, mm. temporarily or, or permanently that we will lose some degree of function and autonomy whether it's as a result of a, an acute illness or a, a life-altering injury of some kind yeah. and in fact um, it's a place we've all been in from birth to you know at least a year or so we couldn't do anything for ourselves we had to have people yeah. making allowances going out of their way giving time and energy to, to helping us so why should that be any different at the end of life? Exactly. It's a very individualistic way in, of, of understanding what it is to be a human being of worth. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think we see that across the family, that, that a lot of the time our goal in, in raising children is to raise them to a point where they can be independent. And we value and prize independence, autonomy, making our own way, you know, mm. being our own self-fulfillment. Uh, but we've lost any sense of value of interdependence, that it's it's okay to be in need, to need somebody else to help you, uh, to rely on others. And, and that actually can be a gift to others to be able to serve you in that way. Yeah, and I think anyone who's a parent of teenagers and young adults will tell you that uh, uh, much as they want to be independent, the modern world doesn't make that very easy for them. Mm-hmm. So they're given this mixed message of you should be independent out there on your own, and yet you can't 
get a job, buy a house, earn a living that will enable you to live independently. Um, and that reliance on your family will continue for quite a lot longer than people a generation before would have experienced. So actually, the modern world makes it harder to yes. have that. So if we're telling one me- on one side, this is what it means to be have dignity on the other side, but we're not going to give you the means to achieve it. It's um, yeah, it's quite damaging, really. I understand why it's a generation with so many anxieties. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's a, that's a whole other topic and a whole other conversation for another <laughs> podcast, I think. But this sort of dichotomy of thinking that is there in our modern culture around what it means to be to have dignity and value and, and the way it, it effectively devalues some people in the process. Yeah. How does that contrast with a with a with a Christian worldview, a Christian perspective on what is dignity and how is dignity bestowed? Uh, yeah, um, contrast hugely. Um, if you think about how Jesus operated, uh, we see him in the Gospels. He moved towards those people who were disabled, who were uh, outcast by others, who were uh, considered to have no dignity, and he gave them dignity by being willing to touch those who were untouchable, who would touch lepers, who would hold the hands of the disabled, who would you know, touch the faces of, of those who were, were blind or the tongues of those who were unable to speak, and very much moved towards those that the rest of society was moving away from. And I think just in basic everyday life and uh, as clinicians uh, in everyday work, just speaking directly to people, looking in their eyes, uh, holding their hand when it's appropriate, speaking to them instead of to their carer as much as possible, are those things that that bestow dignity on people, bestow on them the dignity that they have inherently. Uh, we, we have the power to to call that out of them, to recognise it in them and to to give it back to them um, just by the way we treat them. I know I'm very fond of quoting him, but Tom Holland, in his book Dominion, really challenged the, the notion that we've always had that kind of idea that all human beings have inherent worth and dignity and that actually it was very much an idea that came with the advent of Christianity. And in, in the early Roman Empire, there was no such concept. You, 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 it was very similar to this sort of modern view that you were talking about, that you you are dignified because you have independence and and everything else and if you're not that you are not of worth and yet the christian notion was all of you are created in the all of us are created in the image of god and therefore we have a value and that was quite obnoxious actually to the um to the the pagan world of that time because it really upended the social order it said anybody could be of value uh, from a beggar to an emperor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was just talking about this with somebody last night. You know, it, in the ancient times, it was often seen as actually a, a good thing. Both Greek and Roman philosophy it was a good thing to uh, leave disabled infants out on the rocks. You know, expose them and allow them to die because it would just be so much better for society to only have the strong and the good and the healthy. And we look back at that now and, and find it horrific, but how much of of this uh, move towards euthanasia-assisted suicide and you know abortion for certain disabilities and things up to term 
how much of that is just echoing that same worldview. If you're not perfect, then you're not welcome. Um, that's something that as Christians we really need to stand against. Yeah, indeed. And the worrying rise of the whole idea of eugenics, of course. And again, that's a whole other topic to talk about. But fascinating to see BBC4 doing a whole series on this at mm. the moment. And you realise just how much that doorway has opened up again, even though you would have thought after the Nazi era it would have been slammed shut. But people yeah. are beginning to open it again and say genuinely, we should be stopping certain groups of society being able to reproduce. We should be limiting the, the access to support and, and resources of certain groups of society so that they don't pass on undesirable genetic traits. Yeah. Who gets to decide what is desirable and undesirable is another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, yeah. always the strong over the weak. And yeah. And, and preferring the weak. Which is, of course, Nietzsche famously hated the idea of Christianity, saying it it enslaved the strong to the weak. Yet we would say, actually, that is one of the, 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 the most important principles, is that the strong, those who are able to do, should do for those who cannot, and that that is actually showing Christ's love in action. Yeah. It's fundamental to what it is to be a, a, a disciple of Christ, is to show that kind of support and dignity for other people, mm. because yeah. we recognise that dignity is inherent in what it is to be human. Yeah, when he's talking about uh, the, the church as a body, Jesus talks about those parts that had that are less honoured. Sorry, I don't know if it's Jesus, I think it's Paul, sorry. It's Paul, yes. <laughs> Paul talks about those parts that uh, are least honoured normally by society, the ones that we should run closer to and give greater honour to, greater protection to. And yeah, as you say, that was a very, very radical principle. Yeah, it is. And and, it, and it's, it's funnily enough, in this day and age, it seems to be becoming a radical principle once again, um, mm. even if perhaps in past times we assumed it was inherently true. Yeah, yeah. So what does this mean for us in practice as Christians and as health professionals out there in the world? How does this um, this biblical understanding of dignity as, as something inherent change the way or affect the way in which we care for people? Uh, I think the key thing is is choosing to overcome our perceptions uh, and the things that are, are built into us. So going back to Stephen Pinker, and he's talking about the perception of dignity internally it's a response in the perceiver. So when we see someone that we think is clean and in control and mature and all these things, um, that inspires us to treat them with great respect um, because we perceive that as dignity. And as Christians, we know that our brains often tell us the wrong things. They're, they're not very reliable. Um, not very reliable guide just to the truth. Uh, so we need to to ask the Lord to help us to overcome those instinctive gut reactions to people and ask him to, to give us his love for them, to, to respond to them as he would, which might just simply involve speaking directly to them, taking their concerns on board, listening to them as we would to someone that, that we perceive to have dignity, choosing to give dignity to, to those others and, and to embrace their concerns, what matters to them, and give them the support that they need. So it is about 
our perception of, but also our willingness to listen then, isn't it really? And, and, and to, to enter into someone else's world rather than projecting our own world onto them. Yes, yeah, I think so. Which again is, is something that anyone working in palliative care knows. It's all about understanding what people value in their lives and being able to, to help them to achieve those things that they value, that, they, that are important to them in all sorts of areas, not just in control of physical symptoms but in, in relationships and hopes and dreams and, and all sorts of other things let's, let's find out what matters to people and help them to achieve that absolutely and i think that's a, a good point to finish on really it's about listening it's about entering into other people's world and it's not about imposing ourselves onto others or saying what we think is dignified or valued yeah. Uh, but actually according that dignity to every human being we come across. Absolutely, yeah. Jenny, thank you very much for uh, a, a conversation we could probably carry on for hours, <laughs> but time is not on our side. Thank you very much for talking to us today. And um, I must go and check out the information about this robot cafe in Japan because it sounds absolutely fascinating. Yes, it really, really was. It's well worth um just looking it up. I think it was a Channel 4 documentary, but just Google Japan Robot Cafe, you'll find it. Fantastic. Thank you, Jenny. And Thank goodbye. you. Thanks. Bye. So, you have been listening to CMF's First Incision podcast, which comes out fortnightly at 5pm on Fridays on all the main podcast feeds. So that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and you name it. Uh, if you are new to the podcast and like what you've heard, do subscribe and check out our back catalogue of episodes. And if you can, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the podcast on your chosen app. In addition to being helpful to us, it also helps other people to discover this podcast. So until next time, stay safe. 